Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Word Processing. My name is Josiah, and I'm here with Andrew, and we are pastors at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. Andrew, you are looking good today. You're looking good. You're looking happy and contented. Pretty uh, pretty joyful, I would say. And the people listening are going to have to take my word for it. But today, we're going to find out why it is you look so happy. Don't laugh. It's true. Yeah. Take it as a compliment. Yeah. I wish people could see me. I don't <laughs> I don't feel necessarily super great today, but uh, I'm putting on a smile. You have that effect on me. Just you, you're faking it well. That's yeah. the case. Well, we are <laughs> going to talk today about joy, happiness, and contentment, but less from an Andrew point of view and more from a biblical point of view, although I sure. think we're going to find that they do line up pretty well. I mean, Andrew hopefully. Point, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> well, Andrew, let's start here. Why this topic? Why now? Why are we tackling uh, joy and contentment and happiness? I mean, how many times can we beat the dead horse and say it's been a rough year? It's been a, a tough... I haven't heard that before. No? No. It's, uh, it's been a tough time. It's finally maybe a bit easier to see some light at the end of the tunnel. It seems like restrictions are loosening or moving in that direction. Um, I'm finally starting to feel comfortable putting plans penciled into my calendar without worrying that they're going to be pulled out from underneath me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been a tough year in the state of the world. People are suffering as they always do. Life is always tough for, for people in, in lots of situations, but it's it's almost been this weird year of what is that that analogy that keeps going around? You know, someone says we're all in the same boat, and the response is, "Well, we're not really all in the same boat. We're all in the same storm. We got some people on their yachts and some people on their little dinky rowboats, mm-hmm. but we're all in a, a pretty brutal storm this year that we're facing similar situations and similar struggles, and it can be hard to be happy. It can be hard to be content. It can be really easy to long for what we had, long for things to return to normal." It's easy to want to move out of our current circumstance and focus only on the future or focus only on the past. And I think it's never a bad thing to talk about what it looks like to be content in the Lord, to be joyful in the Lord, and what it means to be happy in amongst those things. Mm -hmm. Well, it's important to begin by defining terms because we're using those words almost interchangeably. Mm -hmm. So let's begin there. I think we'd agree that joy, happiness, and contentment while they're related, they aren't always synonymous, especially depending on who's using them, right? Mm-hmm. They get used differently. So biblically speaking, what do these terms mean and how as Christians should we understand each of them? Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because I think we sometimes really want to exacerbate the difference between joy and happiness. I know I've spent a lot of time in church hearing people say, you know, joy is from the spirit and it's and it supersedes all whereas happiness is just an emotion and then contentment's kind of somewhere in between where you don't even have to be joyful or happy it's just being okay with things and where your life is but i think they are a lot more similar than we maybe give them credit for i think all three of these terms are used biblically and in some context and they are a little bit different so when i think of joy i immediately go to james chapter one Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Thinking of that and the way that I think about happiness, the emotion of being, you know, smile on the face, I don't expect that Paul is, nece- or James rather, is, is necessarily saying, you know, have a smile on your face when you're suffering. Right. So clearly joy in this case is pointing to something that is more internal, something that is, I mean, it can be external, I think, as well, but something that is 
supernatural beyond our our ability to understand necessarily uh, at times for happiness one thing that I hadn't really noticed before but you I think brought it up when we were going through the Beatitudes in Matthew and talked about these these passages of scripture that talk about you know blessed is the one who does this blessed are those who mourn and how really in that case that can be used almost interchangeably with the idea of happiness and so biblically happiness is a little more of that feeling of being blessed where you can acknowledge that God has provided you with things where it is a bit more that emotion but it's that piece of recognizing what God has given you and being not just satisfied or content with it but being filled with that and being uh, I don't know how to not say the word joy overjoyed (laughs) with those things I think like you said they all connect in here but yeah, it definitely has that more emotional sense, I think, along with it. Um, and then contentment, I go to Philippians chapter 4. I think I've mentioned before, maybe on the podcast, that Philippians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. But Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, having both abundance and suffering need. So really, contentedness is almost this piece of in-between that when things are really good, that's okay. And when things are really bad, that's okay. And he's learned what it means to just be okay, to trust God in the midst of positive and negative circumstances. So for me, contentedness is really that tricky one where I think for me, at least in my life, when things are really good in my life, I don't think about contentment as much because it's a lot easier to just live my life and not think about the ways that God is blessing me, the happiness. It's just, you just live your life, right? But when things are going poorly, it's easier to to need to or want to turn to God for that support. And yet Paul here is saying, I've been content in, in prosperity and content when things mm-hmm. are not prosperous. Mm-hmm. And so really just being satisfied with where you are, no matter the circumstances that God has placed you in, not always, you know, striving for that next thing that you need to have, but just being okay. So joy, happiness, and contentment. And I think you did a good job of illustrating how there are hard distinctions and yet so very much they overlap and mm-hmm. they're connected with one another. I wonder if we can talk maybe for a moment about what generally speaking steals those from us. What are enemies of joy, contentment, and I'm missing one, joy, contentment, and happiness. happiness. Yeah, what are, the, what are enemies of those? The things that sure. generally speaking tend to sap them from our lives. I think the biggest enemy is the capital E enemy. I think it's any way that Satan can use to convince us that we shouldn't trust God, to convince us that we shouldn't be okay with what God has given us, or we should be discontent mm-hmm. with our life situation. It's pride that makes us want more. It's the doubt and fear that we allow to overtake what we know or ought to know about God. I think that's one of the biggest robbers of joy has to be those voices in our head that tell us that we cannot trust what he has said. When it comes to pain, I think it's an interesting one because obviously Paul talks about and James talks about being content in suffering, finding joy in suffering. So obviously 
there is a piece where pain can actually be helpful in our understanding of what it means to be joyful as we grow in maturity and Christ-likeness. And yet we also know that pain can push us away at times too if we are focused on our our fleshliness and our humanness and we turn to things other than what God has provided to us to alleviate that pain and we're not turning to supernatural spiritual joy if we are turning to our own vices and our own methodology for trying to be okay or get through our pain then I think that is another doorway where the enemy can creep in to to rob us Mm. of what God has given us. Why do you think the enemy would bother doing that? I mean, it seems like a very superficial victory at first glance. So the enemy comes in and through his influences, he steals my joy. I mean, what effect does that have beyond making me frown? Uh, Like they use the word effect because I think it robs us of our effectiveness Mm. primarily. I think when I'm in a situation in my life where I'm not content with where I am, I'm not focused on what God wants from me or or being faithful to what God has called me to. I'm focused on reaching that next level. I'm focused on reaching that next achievement or that next life goal or life stage. When I'm not being filled with joy in spite of circumstances, I'm not being effective in my role as a pastor, in my role as a husband, in my role uh, as a father, as a friend, in, in any of my positions. If I am allowing my circumstances, again, easier said than done here, but when I'm allowing my circumstances to dictate how I feel about God, how can I possibly be effective as a minister of God's gospel? Mm -hmm. Whether it's evangelizing to friends and family, whether it's here in the church and edifying the saints, whether it's in any aspect, how can I really be on board with pointing people to a God that I don't trust in? How can I point people towards a God that I don't appreciate, that I'm not content with, that I'm not filled with joy and happiness from? I mean, it's going to sound really superficial. It's going to sound really fake if I try and point people towards a God that I myself do not really believe in or believe. That's probably why it's really important to understand the true meaning of joy, because as the epistles make very clear, there's joy available even when we're in the storm, whether we're in a yacht or a dinghy or whatever, joy is available. And in fact, that's when we can oftentimes do our best ministry is out of trial. Um, So we don't want to say that in a trial, joy is not an option. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, You talked about a lot about the enemy kind of stealing joy, capital E, enemy. And I can't help but think of the world, the flesh and the devil being our main enemies, our main um, sources of conflict in this world left over. I still have a sin hangover. I still have the flesh I'm dealing with. The old, sure. you know, Certainly the enemy is prowling about like a roaring lion. Um, but then there's the world system as well that's just bent away from God. And I'm dealing with all of these things. But when I think about the world, the flesh and the devil, they're coming after me to cause me to sin. So if they're coming after me to steal my joy and my happiness and my contentment, does that mean that those three things, when I don't have them, are sinful? Is it sinful not to be joyful? Is it sinful to lack contentment, to uh, not be as smiley as you are today? I mean, that's a really good question, and I invite you to correct me in this if, I, uh, if I'm if i not quite on track with this, but I find that a really complicated question in the sense that we know that this is what God wants for us. First uh, Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
So we know that God wants us to rejoice. He wants us to be thankful in everything. That is his will for us because of the power of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. We have that available to us. We think of the the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, that joy is included on that list of, of fruit that wells up within us based solely on the work of God's Spirit. And so, it, yeah, it becomes a question of if this is something that is God's will for us, is it sin if we are not content or if we are not joyful? Well, my head also then goes to, as we've talked about, I think many times in the podcast, someone like David in the Psalms, a man called one after God's own heart, who often cries out in pain, in suffering, in longing, in, in ways that don't seem very happy at the very least. He, you know, God, where are you? Where, where, why are you not helping me? Now, as we've also pointed out, he often or almost exclusively comes to a conclusion of, you know, even though I don't see you, you are here, God. You will help me, God. And he, he demonstrates that trust. But there obviously has to still be some realm in there where we can express our discontentedness or express our unhappiness or the ways we are suffering from a place of honesty to God and that mm-hmm. not be sinful. Yeah. But again, I think it needs to come back to what does God want for us? And what does someone like David come to at the end? It's this conclusion of even if I don't feel this right now, you know, we talk a lot about feelings and emotions on this podcast as well. Even if I don't feel this right now, I'm going to tell myself that I trust that you will take care of me. Mm-hmm. And I think that points more to a deeper, more mature understanding of joy and contentedness than most things. To be able to cry out to God and say, God, this sucks. I hate the fact that my almost 10-month-old daughter hasn't seen her grandmother in months that she hasn't been able to give her a hug like that sucks i hate this i don't enjoy this and yet god i know that you are sovereign i know that you are beyond all of this stuff i know that you are good and i trust that even though i don't feel it right now that you have good things in store for those who love you that you work all things for good of those who love you romans uh eight yeah, I think I like how you distinguish between certain circumstances that actually to put joy upon them would be disingenuous. Sure. But then as Christians, we're called to rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Could that be not to rejoice in bad things, but to know that in spite of the bad things, there are things to rejoice in. Right? That's exactly <laughs> it. I'm not rejoicing because of right. the suffering. I'm not, although at times we, we, we do, right? And that is the call is, you know, rejoice that you are allowed to suffer for the sake of 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 christ and in the ways that god will will bring about growth in you through that but i'm not rejoicing because my circumstances are brutal or i don't enjoy this but i'm rejoicing that i've been saved by grace through faith i'm rejoicing that my sins are forgiven when i ask i'm rejoicing in the promises of god that he will come one day and renew this world Mm-hmm. those are the things that I can rejoice in the midst of the difficulty, not because of the yeah. difficulty. You can't talk about this issue without thinking about, or at least I can't, without thinking about Job. You know, yeah. Everything was taken away from that guy. Sure. Talk about a storm. He's He didn't even have a dinghy. This guy is floating in the waves by himself treading water, right? And people are telling him, curse God and die. Just get it over with. Give in to the agony. Give in to the lack of contentment, the lack of joy, give into it all. 
and the whole time he will not and he will worship God in spite of his circumstances and at one point he says I know that my redeemer lives and one day I'll walk on this earth with him and there's something he can hold on to that does give him joy it's his north star that he can hold on to even in spite of all the 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 clouds and the rain and the 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 storm and yet I've never given the impression in the book of Job that he's walking around with a big smile on his face constantly while he's covered in sores and his family is dying and his property is burning. No, that's only in the original manuscript. Sure. He's smiling about that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my Hebrew, I still got to brush up on my Hebrew a bit, so. Well, is it safe to say then that a lack of joy or circumstances, so we're talking about it being sinful to lack joy or to lack contentment or to lack happiness. Is it safe to say that difficult circumstances leave the door open to sin or uh, sin can cause a lack of joy sin can rob a lack of joy or contentment if we don't walk in obedience to the lord we leave the door open to a lack of contentment a, a lack of blessing and happiness and vice versa that when we like job or like many people who suffer when we experience trials of various kinds that can be a a prompt to then stray into sin a lack of sure. contentment that's sinful but in it in and of itself is not necessarily sinful would that be fair yeah i think again it comes down to a discussion that you and i have had recently about the difference between sin and unwise actions the idea that there are things that we can do that are maybe not the smartest but unless god has called them sin we should not call them sin mm-hmm. and so yeah i think when we are in situations of suffering or doubt or trial we need to be aware the wise thing to do is to be aware of how sin could creep into our life in that situation Mm -hmm. and ultimately ask for god's strength which is beyond our own to continue to pursue and seek after his joy contentment Mm -hmm. happiness blessing whatever term you want to use here uh in the midst of circumstances that we maybe don't have our own strength to to do that Okay. that he would supersede our, our feelings and our emotions. Okay, let's turn to the million-dollar question now. How do we pursue those things, Andrew? Shepherd us toward that. How do we pursue joy, contentment, happiness, and how do we pursue them in such a way that they transcend whatever circumstances we're dealing with in life? Mm-hmm. Well, I want to start by going back to that passage I, I said earlier in Philippians because I think it's a good demonstration when Paul says, uh, Philippians 4.11, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. Well, from that, we can understand that it's a process. It Mm, is a learning process. I have learned to be content. He didn't say the moment I was met on the road to Damascus, I was content from then on. But I have learned to be content. And we remember he's writing this letter from prison, right? He's, (laughs) I think that has to, that has to impact our, our understanding here that he has taken over the many years of his life and his Christian journey. He has learned what it takes to be content. So clearly part of pursuing contentment is learning. It's, it's learning about God. It's learning why we can be content. It's learning those promises of God so that we can trust them even in the midst of our circumstances. And how do you learn without the trials to learn them in? Well, that's it. I had a friend once who kind of offhandedly made a statement of, you know, we love living on the mountaintops and we don't love being in the valley but nothing can grow on the mountaintops. Things don't grow on the tip of a mountain. Things grow in the valleys mm. down below. And I think that that applies here. I think it's, you know, as we go through trials, as we go through suffering, that is how we can learn to be 
content. It's it's a process and we don't enjoy it. But I mean it's the same as as anything. You can you can have head knowledge about stuff. I am so for instance I'm a I like to ski. That's one of the the few semi-athletic things that I can do at least passable at. I don't did not learn how to ski by reading the Wikipedia page on skiing and then just going to the top peak and strapping these pieces of wood onto my feet and going down the hill and immediately know how to ski just from reading having that theory or head knowledge but it takes practice it takes time you start out small you fall a lot you get hurt at times but eventually you learn from your mistakes and you learn what it is to ski I think the same is true when it comes to contentment we can't just have the head knowledge and read about okay this is how to be content but we pursue it. We we take that time and that effort. We realize that because of the fallen world, we are going to be in circumstances that prime us and give us opportunity to learn how to be content. And so it's about looking at our circumstances that we're in and inviting God to work through them. Saying, you know, not only do I believe, God, that you're good in the midst of the COVID pandemic, but I want to give you opportunities to grow me in this. Please help me see how I can learn to be more content because of the suffering I'm going through right now. Help me learn to be more joyful. Fill me, again, pursuing joy is a, is a whole different thing when it comes to the idea that, as I said before, Galatians 5, this is a fruit of God's spirit. Joy is has that weird kind of supernatural piece we can't fully explain because it comes from God's spirit himself. And so, again, inviting that opportunity of, God, would your spirit work in me? Would your spirit grow healthy, productive fruit in me in these circumstances so that I can recognize your blessings, I can recognize your provision, I can recognize all of the things that you give to me, and maybe that can help my emotions a little bit too. Maybe I can be a little more happy. Maybe I can have a little more contentedness in the midst of this. You touched on a few things already, I think. But if I sat down with you right now and said, Andrew, I want to be 10% more happy this time next week. What are some practical things I can do between now and next week, this time next week, that I can experience more the contentment, the more the joy, the happiness, more than I do now? Mm -hmm. I think spending time with the Lord, I think submitting our situations to him in prayer um, and inviting him into our circumstances. We know that I'm not so naive to think that I can block God from my circumstances. We obviously are not trying to suggest that, but giving him that doorway, trying to be like David and be honest with God, the God who knows all and sees all, and yet we have 150 chapters of people pouring out their poetic heart before God. Mm -hmm. So doing that, being real with God about how we are and, and what our circumstances are, I think that can be a great just practical process of acknowledging your own circumstances and, and acknowledging your actual emotions and feelings when it comes to a topic or a, a situation, but then laying it at the foot of the cross and, and returning to God's word, studying those promises, studying the things that we have to be hopeful for, studying what God has actually said about us, going back to those pieces of what we have to be joyful about in spite of our circumstances, not because of our circumstances, but in spite of our circumstances, the return to the message of the gospel, return to what God has done for us, return to the, the prophecy of what is to come and, and what God will bring. Um, but really, you know, how do you fight against feeling discontent is you find ways to be content. And so 
reminding ourselves of the the things that we have to be grateful for. Um, I think that's why elsewhere uh, in Philippians as well, Paul writes, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's not just don't be anxious. It's not just pray, but it's don't be anxious and lay your supplications at the feet of God with thanksgiving. That contrast there is so interesting that, you know, as we bring our requests before the Lord, as we bring our circumstances before the Lord, part of the way that we leave that with him is to also focus on that which we have to be grateful for. And we have no end to that list of the ways that God has blessed us, that his his grace and provision has provided for us. And we focus on on those things and, and pray that he would build that up within us. That's good. I think you'd agree with this, but we'd be remiss not to say dealing with sin in our life as well. Sure. There's a great joy, contentment, happiness, blessing, stealer in our lives, which is sin, habitual sin, whatever the case may be. First John, which I understand to be a, a textbook on fellowship, deep fellowship with the Almighty, that you may know that you are saved and, and experience that that blessedness of that relationship. He says, you're a fool and you're a liar if you say you have no sin. Mm. But we have a great advocate before the Father, and if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and restore us, wash us, pl- cleanse us. And so if we are dealing with sin in our lives, habitual or otherwise, uh, if we're not confessing those things and be made right with God, he who is the source of all of these great emotions, these great experiences we're talking about, of contentment and joy and blessing, he's the source of them. If we are severing our connection with him, not salvifically, but experientially, then certainly that can take away and steal our joy, no? Yeah, I think it's interesting because it's maybe easier at times to think about turning to other sources in the midst of our suffering to try and alleviate our pain and forgetting that, as you rightly say, our sin gets in the way of the thing, the ultimate reliever of our pain or the ultimate salve for our, our suffering, which is is God's presence um, that we allow that to get in the way far too often. Yeah, I picture that beautiful scene in the upper room when Jesus comes and washes his disciples' feet and Peter argues with him, you'll never wash my feet. He says, if I, if I don't wash you, you have no fellowship with me. He says, well, then wash my whole body. So you've already been washed. You just need to be washed feet. That's us. We've been justified. We don't need to be justified again. We don't need to be washed entirely again. But as we trape through this dirty world, we get dirty feet. And we need to come to the Lord in confession that he can restore that fellowship with us again. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could say a word about the role community plays in the pursuit of these emotions and these experiences. Yeah, I think community is is everything in so many ways. I think, and I, I hope, my, my prayer is that, is that our people here at Oak Ridge have recognized the import of community this year probably more than than ever yeah i know i was just chatting with a friend uh last night even who i haven't seen in a while and talking about this issue of contentment actually and and how talking about times in my life that i have been discontent in my circumstances and and yet i just said to him last night there is nowhere that i would rather be right now and i have just seen so much care from our church family in this past year, the ways that people reach out to one another, reach out to us, support us, care for us. You know, even on our, we have a weekly prayer meeting and and hearing people check in with other people about things that they have brought out weeks before. Hey, how is this circumstance going? I want to, I want to 
I want the update on that. Or people bringing reports of other people who aren't even on their prayer meeting that they've been in contact with that they want to bring prayer for. Man, what a blessing it is to be a part of a church community amongst a global pandemic. Like, I can't, I don't know, I can't fathom how people who are not part of a church are getting through this. Because I know there's been times in this that I feel like I'm barely getting through it. And I have the support of our church family around us. I don't know how people without God's spirit and God's strength are making it through this. And it's no wonder that people are fed up <laughs> because it's it's difficult enough with the strength of God and our family around us. I think community, when it comes to joy and happiness and contentment, community can be the thing that encourages us. Community can be the thing that gives us something else to be thankful for. Um, it can be one of those things that we point to as encouragement. It can be accountability, you know, that we can acknowledge, yeah, we're all in this storm together. So how can we encourage each other to be content? How can we help one another to see the ways that God is moving? How can we find things to be grateful for together? How can I point out the silver lining in this situation for you and, and help you in that? Um, and ultimately, how can we just be real with each other and, and acknowledge that we're going through a tough time and yet we all still serve the same great, powerful God who has good things for us? Well, thanks for the chat today. Andrew, I feel better already. I'm 10% more joyful, I would say, at the end of our conversations. Thank you. I'm not you. even sure how you measure that. It's uh, <laughs> oddly specific. Uh, but in all seriousness, this is an important topic and it was good to think biblically about it during a time when many people are feeling sapped of all three joy, happiness, and contentment. And thanks, listener, for joining us. We pray the joy of Christ would be increasingly yours this week. Until next time, grace and peace. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.